that was incredible. And it was an amazing feeling that during this really oppressive and horrible time, we were seeing all these successes. But then I started feeling this weird feeling in my tummy. <laughs> I'm going, what is this like bubbly feeling? I'm like, oh, I'm feeling fulfilled. Oh, this is crazy talk. And then realizing you paid for this, it was insane. So that launched the whole next phase of my career. You're listening to the Thought Leaders Business Lab, the podcast for coaches, thought leaders, and change makers who are ready to become the standout expert. If that's you, stay tuned because you're in the right place. I'm your host, Samantha Riley, and I want to help you build a successful business sharing your expertise, generate the impact and income you need to create your ideal lifestyle. It's time to make a difference and scale up. Are you ready? Let's enter the lab. Welcome to the Thought Leaders Business Lab, Vince. It's great to have you joining me today. It's so good to be here, Samantha. <laughs> Both of us in lockdown today at the time of recording. Yeah. We've been in lockdown in Sydney for a little bit now. Yeah, we've been for half a day, so I can't really complain, but we're feeling a little sorry for ourselves. So. Oh, and don't you just, don't you just. <laughs> <laughs> but you are host of the Chasing the Insights podcast yep. and marketing coach. Why don't you share a little bit about what it is that you do and the kind of clients that you work with? Oh, my goodness. Okay, so what do I do? That's a really good point. There's far too many things. No. So <laughs> I, Rain it um, in. <laughs> yeah, I am a marketing coach, as you said, mm-hmm. and, and we will talk a bit about my journey and things but and how we got to here. Essentially, what I do is I come alongside mostly early-stage entrepreneurs for my group program. So I come alongside those that, where they know what they're trying to offer. They know roughly what they're tr- the impact they're trying to make on the world. But this whole concept of marketing freaks them out. And they're like, oh my goodness, I can't generate leads. I can't make money. I don't know how to differentiate myself. Help. So I take them through a whole program. I've got like a six-month accelerator. The first 30 days actually, Samantha, is... So I went through the first round of my group program. One of the things I realized in there was one of the challenges a lot of them have is there is this kind of desperation amongst entrepreneurs to make sure they're making money. And when you've got a six month accelerator where you're taking them through all the different pieces of the puzzle, how to get their website optimized or how to create a website, you know, how to put an email marketing sequence together, all these kind of things. They're not really focused on that when they still have to focus on getting clients. So mm-hmm. I thought, right, I'm going to structure this different. So the next intake is literally the first 30 days is just going to be 30 days of revenue where we just focus on the bare bones basic of how to get you more clients. Mm -hmm. That way you can all sit back and go, ah, deep sigh of relief. And then we can focus on all the other things to build your business. Yeah. And so I do a lot of that. And then I work with the other market, which is really the the more senior entrepreneurs that kind of hitting the ceiling. For a lot of them, they're they're getting rid of the door. They're doing pretty well. But then they go, hey, Vince, I really don't know how to break through this. I don't know how to get to that next level. And most of the time that's around being a thought leader. So I take them through how to right, how to have something to say, how to differentiate yourself in this very crowded space, how to launch your own podcast, how to write a book, you know, all the things that we know to position you as a thought leader. And then also the other thing I do, which is not really for my clients, but it's more because I just love writing is I'm prolifically writing books. I published my first book couple of years ago. I've got three books that are going to be published this year. I've also got another book I'm working on and I've written two children's books just because, well, because I'm a giant kid, really. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cool and so fun. Yeah. And of course, the podcast. The podcast is so much, as you know, Samantha, it's hard to explain to people just how much fun it is having a podcast and talking to, oh my goodness, incredibly amazing people Mm. all around the world. It's so much fun. I agree. It's one of my favorite things. And I feel like going back to my year four primary school teacher and saying, see, (laughs) you told me if I talked that it wouldn't help me, but it has. (laughs) 
Oh my goodness. I will go back to my teacher and say the same thing as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I told them that talking a lot was a superpower, not a weakness. <laughs> this episode is made possible by your podcast concierge. Editing your podcast can be time consuming. Your podcast concierge offers comprehensive and affordable podcast production and social media marketing services to help you grow your podcast and business faster. Go to yourpodcastconcierge.com and book a call via the Let's Talk button on the homepage and receive 50% off your first month when you mention Thought Leaders Business Lab. Today, we're going to talk about your journey from corporate to coaching. And I think that this is a topic that's at the front of mind of so many people right now. Well, since, you know, essentially March 2020, when COVID hit, it sort of gave everyone a pause to stop and think, is this what I really want to be doing? And I know that well, in April 2021, there was 4 million people in the US alone that resigned from their jobs. Oh, wow. Sort of dipped a little bit in May. In June, that came up to 3.9 million. We're certainly seeing that happening in Australia now. With And I believe it's just because people have said, you know, what am I here for? Yeah. What What is my passion? What am I really doing? And also, you know, having a personal purpose. And deciding what they really want to do. What I'd love to do is take a walk back. Well, let's start off. What were you doing in the corporate arena? Oh, man. So, background for you, Samantha, I've always kind of been in and out of both entrepreneurship and corporate, like mm-hmm. through most of my career. It always seems to get to a point where I'm in a corporate job, then I'm like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that pull towards entrepreneurship, jump into it, boots and all, create something and then sell it. And I came off the back of my largest startup, which was called Common Leisure. And we exited there. That was an eight-figure exit, which was very nice. But then was like, oh, man, I need that thing. What's it called? Uh, a job. Oh, that's right. Uh, <laughs> so I joined the team at Cigna Insurance and be- ended up becoming the chief marketing officer there. Mm-hmm. And that was a crazy journey. So I stayed at Cigna for five years. And through that, had some significant wins and significant accolades and acknowledgements through my time there. So I turned around the company. So we ended up doubling our revenue from when I started there. We ended up going from the sixth or seventh, I can even remember which one of this, our largest insurer to the second, and then on track to become the largest insurer. And through all that, a lot of that was because of the work I was doing in the digital space. Mm-hmm. And because I'd said, I challenged the industry because the industry said, hey, you cannot sell, uh, you cannot, uh, people don't buy insurance, you know, you have to sell insurance to them. So in other words, mm-hmm. you can't sell insurance, particularly life insurance online, because it's such a long process. And I'm going, wow, hold my beer. Um, (laughs) This is just basically replicating human behavior. Come Uh on, people. This uh is not complex. So we did that. And I took the online sales from like 2% of our overall revenue to about 48% when I left. And that's with doubling the revenue of the whole company. So so I certainly had the track record behind me, was working on some insanely powerful projects and some really groundbreaking stuff that I was really, really proud of. At the same time, was getting the recognition. I won a truckload of awards, including the most humbling one of all, which was Adobe recognizing me as one of the top 50 marketers in the world. That was that certainly challenged my imposter syndrome. Oh, better <laughs> my, to hear. That's awesome. Yeah, my awesome. good old friend imposter syndrome is going, hello, I need to talk with you. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I, was, I remember going to San Francisco and they, they were adamant I had to speak at this conference. And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. And they were, well, fly your business class. We'll put you up in a five-star hotel. And I'm going, well, 
we use Adobe products in our business. I don't like, particularly when you're at a C-suite level, I don't want people to think there's any conflict of interest. So I'll pay my own way. Like I'll come, but they were like, but you have to come. I'm like, okay, okay, calm down. Uh, fortunately, Cigna found out about it and they were like, no, no, we'll pay for your events. And I'm like, yes, back to business class. <laughs> but I got over there and then they announced they were launching this, this program called Fearless 50. And it was to recognize top 50 marketers in the world. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. Lucky sods. Uh, and then they said, we've only chosen the top 25 and we're going to announce it here. And I'm like, wow. They go, that's why we've been very particular about the speakers at this conference. And I'm like, wow. Yeah, because some of the biggest names in the industry are here. This is so exciting. And then they then they went, and then we want to highlight three of those for you that are making all this, really making a transformation in the industry. And I'm looking at this big screen in front of me and there's my photo. And I'm going, wow, that guy looks so much like me. And then, <laughs> then the name comes up and I go, wait, he's got the same name as me. I couldn't get my head around it, Samantha, at all. Like I just, I couldn't, like my brain just couldn't process the information. But it was a huge acknowledgement and, and I feel very humbled and very fortunate to have it. So that happened while I was chief marketing officer and mm-hmm. I published my first book. Everything on paper was incredible. And mm-hmm. everyone would be going, you know, oh, this is amazing. Like they paid like ridiculous amount of pay. Um, but like the pay that you get there is obscene. You got a C-suite job. You've got all these accolades. You've got the, these things like, you know, the book coming out and all this. But I was insanely unhappy mm. and really, really unfulfilled. And I couldn't put my finger on what it was, but I just knew that I wasn't feeling right. I wasn't feeling myself there. And it wasn't until I started to kind of take stock of myself where I realized there was something missing in all of this. Yes, I was getting the accolades, I was getting the money, I was getting the awards, getting all these kind of things. But the reality was I wasn't impacting people. And mm. one of the things in a C-suite job when you're at that level, but pretty much everyone around you is a dollar sign or a data point, you know, or mm-hmm, a number. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that doesn't sit right with me. So I kind of realized, and nothing wrong with the organization, Cigna are a fantastic organization. The leadership, they're amazing. The team are amazing. But the reality was I wasn't being myself. Mm. And I'm the type of person I need to be around other people. Um, we talked about this before yeah, we had recorded. Massive extrovert. Um, oh, yes. High extrovert. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like lockdown's a hard time for me. I, I run around like a puppy. Every time we're going for a walk and I see someone in the street, I'm like, hello, hello. <laughs> <laughs> but I realized I wasn't feeling that there. So made the easiest, hardest decision ever. And that was December of 2019, started talking to my CEO and just saying, look, I, I don't think I'm the right fit for here. And she's going, ah, excuse me. <laughs> I'm like, no, I think I need to move on. And she then offered to get me a counselor and a psychologist because she goes, do you know how much we pay you? I'm like, it's not about the money. Um, so, so I made the decision that I was going to leave there. And actually the goal was just to write my next book. I thought I'm going to leave there January of 2020. I'm going to focus on writing my next book and then Look, after I've published that, I'll figure it out from there. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. we're in a very fortunate position where we didn't need to worry about anything. So we're like, yeah, that'll be cool. Um, that lasted about a week after I left there because I started going stir crazy and realized I'm really bored. So I started writing two books at the same time. Then I started thinking about the podcast. I wanted to launch that. Uh, and then just accidentally found out that I was a coach. And mm. by that, I mean, that's when the lockdown happened, the first mm-hmm. lockdown. And all of the businesses I was talking with, whether in the US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, UK, all of them said the same thing, which was like, hey, we want to help you. We want to give you information for your book, but we're freaking out. Mm-hmm. And they had no revenue coming in the door. They had, or very little in some of their cases, they had all the same overheads. And they were literally, some of them were actually working out whether or not they're going to exist in two months time. Mm-hmm. And I have 
such a soft spot for entrepreneurs. I'm like, no, I can't do this. I can't stand by and let this happen. This is breaking my heart. So I said, look, can I come alongside you? Can you let me speak into your business? Can you let me uh, guide you and see what we can do with this? And all of them just said yes. Mm. Now, very fortunately, we had no casualties. Even during lockdown, we turned all of them around to profitable. Um, Actually managed three of them. I got to double their revenue. And Mm -hmm. one of them, got to triple their revenue. So I was very excited about that. They had no idea what they were sitting on. They thought they had this like little boutique niche business. As soon as they opened the doors and put it online and started talking about it, everyone's like, hello, I'll have that. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was incredible. And it was an amazing feeling that during this really oppressive and horrible time, we were seeing all these successes. But then I started feeling this weird feeling in my tummy. <laughs> I'm going, what is this like bubbly feeling? I'm like, oh, I'm feeling fulfilled. Oh, this is crazy talk. And they're realizing you paid for this. It was insane. So that launched the whole next phase of my career, Samantha. So cool. I want to go back to the time before you left your corporate job. You were saying you were feeling unfulfilled. Was there something that you just suddenly went, oh, my God, what's this feeling? Or did it creep up to you? What was that moment where you thought, what am I doing here? That's a good question, actually. I think creeping up on me is probably the best way to describe it because it was like a compound interest effect, you know, like I – Little things would get at me. I was feeling like I was feeling pretty disingenuous. I remember one day, this is sad insight into my life, Samantha. I remember I was really grumpy with my team and it was nothing to do with them. I just was quite, we were dealing with a lot. Um, We were trying to buy another company, which was adding all stress on top of stress on top of stress and all Mm -hmm. this. And our team was understaffed and all this. We're working ridiculous hours. And I remember thinking, I just, I'm over this. I just don't want this. And they came in and I had to pull the whole team in and uh, oh, certainly all my leaders. And I just said to them, look, I just want to apologize to all of you guys. Like I've been really snippy with all of you. I've been really short. It's nothing to do with you. It's just to do with the pressure of the job. And, and I shouldn't take it out on all of you. And I remember one of my team, she's just so wonderful. She turned around and she said, well, first of all, Vince, thank you so much. And secondly, we had no idea you were grumpy. And I'm like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Turns out even grumpy Vince isn't really that grumpy. So but that was an eye-opener. But it was this kind of compounding effect throughout the year. And I like it would get to the point where I would just question myself all the time. And I remember sitting in some of the leadership meetings there, and we were making decisions, and I've just felt wrong about some of the decisions. They're not wrong like ethically or anything like that. But I just felt like that's not how I do things. It's not how I make decisions. And I I still remember, actually, our CEO was wonderful. I still remember we were running at all these projects and we were coming up to the end of the year and it was, everyone was exhausted. The whole company, you know, we had about, I can't remember how many staff we had, about 500 people or whatever. And everyone's just exhausted. They're all run ragged. And mm. I was going to see the CEO and have some time with her. And just on my way to her office, my office was just around the corner from hers. But I passed one of the star employees from someone else's team. And I said, hey, how's it going? And they were like, huh? What? Oh, yeah, good, I guess. And I was like, that was a strange interaction. And I realized they're just not mentally there. As in, yeah. you know, they're not yeah. you know, mentally because they just weren't, weren't present. Yeah, so yeah. I went into the CEO and just said, what are we doing? She goes, what? And I said, what are we doing? Like, seriously, we're running at all these milestones. We're running at all these different things. But the reality is if we get there and no one else is there with us, is that success? What's I don't the think point? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's yeah. to her credit. She was awesome. She just went, actually, that's a really good point. I have been concerned about that. So we left her office, went into a leadership meeting with the rest of the C-suite. And she goes, actually, I've just been talking with Vince. And he brought up some really good points. Over to you, Vince. And I was like, oh, <laughs> damn it, throw me under the bus. <laughs> yeah. so, so I got to say to them all, here's what I suggest. I suggest we park a number of these projects. 
We just get these two, which are you know critical out the way. And we actually give people a Christmas and give mm. them some time to actually unwind. And mm. the room was split. Like half of them just, you could see the relief on their face. And these were the half that were going, I'm just run regular. I can't cope at the moment. And they're all like, oh, phew. And then the other half of them, you could see them tense up because they're like, wait a minute, but these are my projects. And if they don't, I won't get my bonuses or I won't get blah, 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 and all this. Mm. But then they all agreed and, and we packed projects, which is cool. But even with that, I still felt like I wasn't being myself. So, mm. yeah. And then I do believe that your body tells you things sometimes. So, 100%. Um, I believe it yeah. all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I'm not very good at listening to it. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> so my body's going, hey, Vince, hey, Vince, look after yourself. I'm like, what? what, what? And then it gets to the point where it's shouting at me. Well, I had one exactly. of those. In, yeah. I had one of those in 2019. Uh, we sponsored a um, half marathon or, you know, like a, a race in Queenstown. And, and what a hardship, you know, where I get to go down to Queenstown and hand out medals and all this kind of thing. It's such a beautiful place. But I thought if I'm going to do that, because we're, we're a sponsor of it, I'm going to run the half marathon. Mm-hmm. Okay. And now I've, you know, I'm not a runner. This is not the body of a runner, Samantha. Um, so <laughs> I decided I need to train for this. Or early on, I used to say to my team, I'm going to, I'm going to practice for this. They're like, Vince, it's not called practicing. It's called training. I'm like, oh, that's right. I already know how to run. Oh, yeah, good point. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I'm just not that type of person. But I was so busy that I didn't get any time to train at all, which is for a half marathon, it's not healthy. Um, if you're super fit, great. You could probably do that. For someone mm-hmm. of my temperament, that is not going to work. But then I thought, well, I'm going to, I've committed to doing this. I'm going to do it anyway. So I decided I was going to make it a challenge for myself and I was going to disprove. I don't know if you ever heard of four burners theory. There was this weird theory no. that went out there in the startup world where they're going, you know, you've got that. It was trying to teach people about balance, but it did the exact opposite. And it was going, okay. you've got these four burners on your stove and you've got enough power to run each of them at 25% at the same time. You know, so one of them, they're, they're the four areas of success, according to this theory, right. family, health, friends, and work. Uh-huh. And I'm going, well, first of all, there's way more areas of success than those, you morons. Yep, but anyway, yep. um, and then they said, but you can't you know, power two of them at the same time, essentially at 100%. And I was like, oh, I'm going to prove you wrong. And I proved them wrong through two things. One, my wife and I, you know, like that's family. So we would build our relationship by going on dates, by going uh-huh. to the gym. And uh-huh. we go to the gym together and we get told off for giggling too much and having way too much fun, <laughs> but it's our time together and we just really, really enjoy it. So that already disproves the theory because same amount of energy is producing results in two areas. Yep. But then I thought, I'm going to run this half marathon and I'm going to listen to an audio book and I'm going to get my team to test me at the end of the half marathon with how much I retain of that book. And I'm going to prove that I'm investing in my, you know, my work, my development and my health at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I did that and I ran the half marathon and I did a half decent time for somebody who's not that fit. And I recalled just about all of the book I was listening to. To be fair, it was an awesome book. And then I got to the end and then we were like, okay, there's three hours left until the medal ceremony. Now it was about 20 or just under 20, I think probably 18 degrees Celsius. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of a nice warmish day for Queenstown. Mm-hmm. And then the temperature dropped and then the rain started and then eventually the snow came. Yeah, I'm in shorts and a singlet Uh and the change of clothes that I had there were in a bag that some helpful person decided they were going to move from the sponsor table, which is where all the sponsors put their bags. They took all our bags and put them in a big puddle. Uh So all of our clothes were drenched. I couldn't get changed. And I'm standing there three hours later, handing out these medals, shaking like a leaf, just going, congratulations. Um, So got back to the hotel after that, took five showers to thaw out, flew back home then realized I've got a bit of a sniffle. So I'm like, great. Now I've got the flu coming on. 
Then the next day he had to fly out to Auckland and travel the country for three weeks, going to you know, basically doing a roadshow. And these roadshows were grueling where I'm on the road. I would go do these networking events with all these insurance brokers and I'd be shaking hands and working the room. And these are pre-COVID days, by the way, where, you know, turning up. Somewhere where you could actually do that. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> um, so I worked the room and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And everyone was excited. And it was, it was really, it was working really, really well. And then I go back to the hotel and I'm like, I'm dying, I'm dying. And I thought I had the flu. Three weeks of the flu is not healthy. Finally got back to Wellington, uh, got back home and thought I'd better go and see the doctor. So we saw the doctor and he did some tests and he came back and he's like, oh, okay, worked it out, Vince, you don't have the flu. And I was like, oh, that's confusing. He goes, no, no, you've had pneumonia for the last three weeks. Mm -hmm. And I was like, "Um, isn't that serious? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, you're a moron. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, doctor. (laughs) But it was my body's way of screaming at me going, dude, what are you doing? You're burning the candle, not at both ends, but you're burning it in the middle as well. You're burning yourself out for what? And that I remember being a kind of pivotal catalyst point where I'm like, okay, that's forced me to look at myself. And then it forced me to question all of the things that I've been feeling throughout the year and the year before that as well, where I'm going, all of these things aren't lining up to my happiness and aren't lining mm. up to being fulfilled. And you're not in control of your own destiny. And I think this, to your point about how many people are leaving their jobs at the moment, I think the reason for that is COVID, COVID's done something really interesting because the amount of entrepreneurs in the world, it's really hard when you're an entrepreneur. You surround yourself with entrepreneurs all the time and you you think everyone's an entrepreneur. <laughs> like Everyone in the world must want to create Right. So I hear it from yeah. coaches. Everyone's a coach. Exactly. Clearly, clearly exactly. know which algorithm you're tied up in. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, but the thing is though, when you actually take a step back and look at the world, it's only a small percentage, a small mm-hmm. percentage of the world that are entrepreneurs and a very, mm-hmm. very small percentage that are coaches. Yeah, it's tiny. But what happens is all these people, there are a whole pile of people that want that freedom. They want to be able to birth something into the world. They want to create their own thing and to be able to create their own future. However, having a nice stable job and a nice stable income is a lot safer. And they're probably surrounded by people that can't, you know, like, but get them to question themselves, people that can't encourage them. They're they're surrounded by friends and family that are like, this is what the, you know, this is the dream. You've got to get the nine to five job. But they're keeping them safe in their own story of being safe, of what safety is. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And what COVID then did was show them that this, secure safe world that they had Mm. actually wasn't that safe at all Mm. and when Mm -hmm. you realize uh and we saw this with so many different companies around the world and some of them genuinely disappointed me in fact there's an entrepreneur a pretty high profile one where as soon as COVID hit he went oh well you know I'm I'm about to buy the new yacht and a new new jet and he goes and I don't really want to affect that because my bottom line is gonna be affected by COVID so I'm just gonna lay off two-thirds of my staff so he said to his staff, look, you know, we're going into lockdown. It's going to be a terrible time. So goodbye. See you. And when we come out of this, if you're still interested, I will hire you back again. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, first of all, why would you work for anybody that doesn't have your back? And why mm. would you work for anybody that would treat you like that? And also, how do you sleep at night knowing that you've just affected all of these people's lives so you can buy your next yacht? I mean, yeah. come on. Like, yep. what is wrong with you? Absolutely. Uh, but all these people have seen this and they've seen how fickle jobs are and how fickle the corporate world is and how, by the way, toxic and political it can be. And they're going, maybe there's something else out there. Yeah. So I actually think it's really encouraging. Yeah. I think it's a, a positive sign. It's scary though. And I want people to know just how much of a roller coaster ride this whole entrepreneurship is. Like you are signing up for crazy town. Just prepare yourself. It's mm-hmm. worth it, but mm-hmm. it's crazy town. Yeah, <laughs> 100%. It's like, it is like a roller coaster where the yeah. highs are really, really high and the mm-hmm. lows are really, really low. 
but it's oh, yeah. about managing that. It's yeah. not about getting rid of it because it's not going to go anywhere. Yeah. You mentioned before you left that your CEO offered you counselling. Is that something that you took or did you just allow your body to give you the whack? And by the way, I call that tickle slap and whack. Like the the universe will give you a tickle and you may pay attention. And if not, you'll get a slap. And then if you don't get, if you don't pay attention, then guess what, Vince, you get the whack. (laughs) I think think in my world, Samantha, it's more like my my body going, oi. And then when you don't listen, it's like a slap. And then it's a four by two on the side of the head. Yeah, you got the four by two. (laughs) (laughs) Now, look, I, once I'd realized the decision that I needed to make, that was it. And I was thinking, there's no point. It's it's kind of one of these weird things. You know, when you're an entrepreneur and anyone who is an entrepreneur knows this, or if you're starting to feel that inclination to move towards entrepreneurship, once that seed is in you, I'm just warning you, it's all over. Like it will Mm. pull at you and it will pull at you and you will get more and more dissatisfied. You will need to create something. So at that point, there's no use fighting it. And I'm like, you know, I know like the book I'm writing at the moment that I left Signet to write, it's called Anti-Perfect. And it is about my journey with imposter syndrome. It's about the way I've learned to rewire my brain. It's the way that I like tactics I know are going to impact a lot of people. So when I'm looking at that, I'm going, do I stay in a corporate job because they pay me really, really well and because I'm getting the success there? Or do I go where I know I'm going to impact people's actual lives? Mm. And then it doesn't matter whether there's counseling, pay rises, bonuses, all the things. I mean, she looked at every opportunity, like every way that we could keep me there was like, hey, take three months off and then come back, just write your book and come back. And I'm going, well, that's a bit of a dick move because then, you know, basically I'm saying somebody else can take over for three months, which means they can't make the job their own. I'm going to come back and you're in that time you're launching the new brand and everything. And I'll be like, Oh, thank you. I'll take it from here. I say, I can't do that. And then she goes, mm. well, maybe you can go down to part time. And I'm like, mm, okay. So how would that look? Uh, I'll say to my team, Hey guys, we're understaffed at the moment. We've got all this work on. So if, uh, yeah, if you guys could really dig in and do the extra work. And by the way, I'm going down to part time. I said, no, it's not going to work. <laughs> and she goes, yeah, but yeah, I know what yeah. it means, Vince. And then that means we lose you. And I said, look, I really appreciate it. But the reality is once I know what the right thing to do is, and she went, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. And it's like, yes, if I don't do the right thing, I'm being dishonest to you and I'm being dishonest to me. And Mm. she was like, yeah, Mm. I know. So it was really humbling. And we had an amazing farewell. They actually shut down the company for half a day, which I didn't think they would do. And I got to celebrate with everybody and also got some amazing bottles of whiskey. Oh, Oh my God, I love whiskey. And that was obviously whoever was tasked with buying the bottles for my going away present really knew what they were doing. So I was very happy. Yeah. There. So, someone, someone wanted your job. Yeah, That's yeah, what yeah. that was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So obviously you were being in entrepreneurship before you had that position. There's going to be people that are in corporate positions that haven't been. They don't know what, how to prepare, what to do. They don't know what this roller coaster is going to be like. Because to, to hear it is one thing, yep. to live it is completely oh, yeah. another. Let's not scare them too much. But what would you say are the, you know, the basic things to get into place to make that leap? Yeah, I, I think... I think number one is surrounding yourself with the right people. And by that, I mean, Mm -hmm. get yourself a coach or a mentor or somebody who's done it before. They can talk to you about Mm -hmm. that because you want to like, often what happens is you're sitting in a corporate world. And I remember actually with one of my very early startup ideas, you know, I was sitting in a corporate job getting paid really well. And, and I thought, right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to leave this corporate job. I'm going to launch this business. It's going to be global. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. And, hadn't really tested that thought with anyone. I hadn't really run it mm-hmm. past a mentor or coach. I hadn't tested it with consumers. I mean, that's a big step in itself. 
Uh-huh. So it was like, right, in the end, I decided not to leave the corporate job, but to do it part-time. And thank goodness, because it failed miserably. <laughs> like, it was a great idea for something, but the wrong timing and had the wrong team around, around me. And yeah, it was just epic failure. But we had so much fun and I learned a lot. And there was a lot of drinking and a lot of celebrating <laughs> in the end. It was, it was cool. But no, surround yourself with the right people. Get yourself a coach. I would highly recommend that, especially when you're in corporate, because then you can afford it. When you're early stage mm-hmm. entrepreneur, money means everything to you. You're going, uh-huh. yeah. but have yourself a coach that can speak into your life and can give you that clarity. Because honestly, mm-hmm. when you are going through the roller coaster ride that we talk about, and I know we don't want to scare them, because they're not going to scare you, because it is an awesome roller coaster ride. It is the an awesome roller coaster. I wouldn't amazing. have it any other way. I know, I know. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's such a thrill, but there are those days. And on those days, it's your coaches that are going to get you through that. It's surrounding mm-hmm. yourself mm-hmm. with the right people that you can turn to and just go SOS. And in fact, I've literally got, I've got a coach, but I also, in fact, I've got two coaches, but I also have some peers that I really, really trust. And if mm-hmm. I'm having a bad day, I've just, we've got a code word amongst us. We just send an SOS and they come back mm-hmm. with, what's up? What's up? And it's either I'm falling apart and I need your help. Or in one of the cases, this is hilarious. I was so tired. Like I was ridiculously tired, but I had to get this landing page launched and I just, I had to write the copy for it and I just couldn't get my head around it. It was one of those ones where you really hit the wall. So I just went SOS and they went, what's up? And I went, English, not good. Need help writing words for page. Help, help. <laughs> so just got to jump on a call with them and just talk about it, what you're trying to achieve with it. And then the yeah, words started yeah. to flow. So they just kind of unblock yeah. that, that blockage, you know? I think it's the questions. Yeah. People on the outside ask different questions. Yep, definitely. Especially if they've been there before. And that's the key. Totally. Make, sure you, make sure it's somebody, like do your research on your coaches. Make sure they're people that have gone where you want to go or are where you want mm-hmm. to go. Make sure it's people that are aligned with you ethically and morally. And, and that's probably more important than people realize as well. Because I remember with one of the early coaches I was looking at, they were very much... I, think, I don't know how else to describe it, Samantha, other than bro marketer. It was the whole, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. we're going to 10X your income. We're going to get oh, Lamborghini. Yes, like, yes. If you're listening, I did just roll my eyes. <laughs> bro marketing just absolutely is. Yeah. Ugh. Let, let, let's just, actually, let's just put it out there right now. Bro marketers are overcompensating for something. I'm putting that there. But also, <sighs> it's just such an unethical and unsatisfying yep. world. Like there's so much yep. more to being an entrepreneur than money. You need money, obviously, because you need to make it. Totally, you need to be totally. But we're not doing this for a hobby. No, no, definitely not. We want we want this for the long haul. We're building a legacy for our families and that as well. But it's so much more than just the money. So yeah, mm. steer clear of any of the bro marketers, please, on, on mm. behalf of Samantha and me. Um, <laughs> but, but it's really Absolutely. important to make sure that they do align with you. And and then the other thing I would recommend actually is. Whatever idea, whatever thing that you've got that you're thinking this could be it, this could be the thing, is test it with people. Just get out there and mm. talk to your target market and just interview them. And and you do very little of the talking. Don't don't try and lead them down a path and go, I've got this idea. What do you think? Because they're going to tell you it's wonderful, even if it's not. What you want to mm-hmm. do is you want to ask them questions. Like for example, if you're a coach, like for me, I'm a marketing coach. I would go out there and I'd talk to entrepreneurs and go, look, what are the challenges you have around marketing? What are, what are the things that keep you up at night? Like, talk me through how you approach these different things. You know, like, where do you get your help from? And, and if you, you know, if it turns out that help is from coach, for example, you say, okay, well, what do you look for in a coach? What are the main things you want them to be doing with you? Like, actually do your research because when you do this, it'll start to identify whether your, or your opportunity, whether your idea, whether that seed that you have has merit 
or is something that you need to talk to a coach about and develop into something else and you pivot it, et cetera. Mm. So mm-hmm. those are the two things I would recommend to everybody that's still in corporate is get a coach or get someone that can speak into you and then just test your ideas with your market. The reason you're here is because they're exactly the same two things that I would have said. Yeah. I think that surrounding yourself with the right people is more valuable than the money itself yeah. because you need to be around not just people that know what to do, but think in the right way. Definitely. Think in a way that can take you to the places. But what I do want to dive into a little bit deeper is this, this sales and proof of concept because I think a lot of people get confused with this and they ask people you know, is this something you'd be interested in? And, you know, and of course, as friends, we're like, yeah, that's great. (laughs) This isn't what we're talking about, right? We're we're actually talking about getting people to pull their credit cards out, which is a very, very different conversation. So can we dive into this a little bit more? How, How would you start off this proof of concept? And, and in actual fact, there's a piece that comes before that, because you know, how do you even come up with that idea in the first place? <laughs> oh, my goodness. So much to dive into here, Samantha. Yeah, oh, yeah. we call that parting with your money, the, the penny gap. And that's the gap uh-huh. between where people tell you, great idea. I would totally buy that. Great. Can you hand over your wallet? Well, hang yeah, on a minute. No, yeah. not right now. It <laughs> <laughs> always fails. No, look, the first thing is to come up with the ideas. If you're sitting there in corporate right now, you're listening to this podcast, which you should be doing because it's an awesome podcast, and you're sitting in corporate, one of the things to do is to look at what frustrates you. Look at the things where you get frustrated yourself or that frustrate you about your industry or frustrate you about how you see people treat that. If I look at even one of my very early stage things, I did a freelance website development company. And that literally came from me seeing other people being taken for a ride. And I remember one of our vendors had come to us where I was working and he said, oh, I want to show you my new website, Vince. And I was like, oh, wow, cool. I love websites. You know, I'm, I'm basically, by the way, showing my age here, but when the internet first came to New Zealand, I was being trained at the time. I was was studying electronics and computer engineering and we got one of the first connections. I'm like, this is going to be huge. So we were sharing, well, we were sharing rude pictures with the guys at MIT, but anyway, um, that's because we were all a bunch of blokes and it was terrible. But anyway, so, you know, I got really excited and he was going to show me his website and he showed it to me and he told me how much he paid for it. And my face was just blank. And he goes, well, what's that expression? And I said, Really? You paid that much for this, mm. and I said, mm-hmm. "I look, I said, can you can I do you a favor?" And he said, "What?" And I said, "Can you just give me the weekend, and I'll build something that I think more represents who you are." And I said, "And then you can make a decision at the end of that." And he goes, "Okay." And at the end of the weekend, I built him something. I even rebranded his whole company because he was an early stage startup. Rebranded his whole company, designed him a logo, designed him a flyer, some business cards, presented it all to him at the end of the weekend. And he's like, "Done deal. Let's do this." So it was about me getting frustrated by other people's lack mm-hmm. of delivery or the things that really, so yep. that's usually where the seed lies. I think that's usually, Absolutely. Yeah. or in some cases yep. you may just, you may just be a normally entrepreneurial person anyway, and you may just see an opportunity there. Um, but, but just be cautious with that. You have to test it because often mm-hmm. what we think is a great idea already exists out there somewhere or can be done a lot easier or, you know, so you've just got to test that opportunity and the way to do that. So the company that I had that failed miserably, it was called Mobile Combat and it was a game. It was an app for your phone, like a, a game on your phone. And it was in the height of when Android was first released. So mm-hmm. you had iPhone users on one side, you had Android users on the other side. And then you had about three or four people, I think, that were using like Windows Mobile or something. 
but you had people pretty protective about their phones. Like the Android users were like, well, we're Android users. Woohoo. And iPhone users are going, oh, you're one of those, are you? So yeah. the, the height of that. And I thought, let's capitalize on this. And I was looking at South by Southwest and I was looking at all the, I can't even remember the name of the other conferences now, but all these conferences and they get all this press there. And I thought, imagine if we could create a game where it's like risk, where you would take over your area and you would take over your, your city and your country and all these kind of things. You're, you're part of the world for your platform of choice. So if you were an Android user, you basically would go on your phone. It would tell you how many iPhone users that are registered for the game are around you and you could battle them. And you battle them in a top, uh-huh. Trump, style, uh, top Trump style way. Um, I feel the name of that game needs to change now that actually we've had Trump in the US. Yeah, you know? it, it, well, yeah I wasn't quite sure where you were going <laughs> yeah, then exactly. for a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very triggered at that point. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, so it's a game of chance and things. And the idea where we monetize it through in-app purchases, on paper, outstanding. And I tested it with consumers, uh, although I did remember I wanted to, we, we did a startup weekend, which is where you get together for a weekend mm-hmm. and you try and build this. You build the app as fast as you can, build the company as fast as you can, surround yourself with the right people. And I thought, I'm going to validate this. I'm going to grab a clipboard. I'm going to grab a pen. I'm going to go out in the street and I'm going to ask people's opinion. I didn't click that when you do that and you're standing on the street you know, with a clipboard and a pen, they all think you're either asking them for money for your charity or they think you're uh-huh. a crazy street preacher. And I'm like... Okay. Yeah. And also you're interrupting people that are going from point A to point B. So that didn't work. I learned a lot of new expletives, funny enough. And I was a bit deflated and defeated. And I thought, oh man, I need to go and get a coffee. And I remember standing in this cafe, I was standing in this coffee line for about five minutes. And I'm thinking to myself, man, this is never going to work. I need somewhere where I have a captive audience, somewhere where people are stuck essentially and, and have time on their hands. And, and I'm standing there in the coffee line. They finally get my coffee or they take the order. And then I wait another five minutes for that. And I'm going, Oh, this is never going to work. Anyway, I grab the coffee, walk out the door, and just as I'm walking out the door, I'm like, "Wait, oh, bingo. I was just there." <laughs> yeah. so went back in and talked to the cafe and said, "Look, can I buy coffee for anyone that comes up here that gives me a couple of minutes of their time? I'll pay for their coffee." And they're like, "Sure." So I gave them my credit card, and then I just would stand in the line and say to them, "Look, I'll take your order, um, and when it's ready, you can you can go off. We'll pay for it." But I just want to get your your input on something. Though everyone said yes because everyone's like, "Free coffee? Hell yeah!" And yeah. what I would do, what I learned was early on, I would start asking them those defeatist questions where you're like, oh, we've created this app. What do you think? Oh, it sounds amazing. Would you pay for it? Of course I would. No, they wouldn't. Yeah. Huh? So what I did in the end is I learned. To of course ask, they're going to say that. They're going to free exactly, coffee out of it. Exactly. <laughs> but I learned to ask a different kind of question. And that question was, okay, tell me about the types of games you play on your phone. Tell me about what attracts you to those games. Like, would describe to me what happened when you first thought about this game. Like, when you first came across it, what did you feel? Like, where were you? What did you think? I get them to tell me stories about that because in there is all the gold that you need. Like, they will give you all of the all of the words you need to market to them. By the way, which is really really handy. But they will give you all of the rationale and the reasons of what made them purchase that particular game or take a game. And I'd ask them about in-app purchases. Like, what games do you play where you buy things in the game? And they would tell me about that. So what makes you buy this? What motivates you to buy it? Uh, and you just get them to tell you all these stories. So I got all these gold from, I call that coffee line test. It's something I've, I've taken now for every company, whether it's corporate or startup that I do. Uh, we introduce coffee line tests there to be able to get input from people. Works really, really well. But still the company failed. Um, but, but that wasn't anything to do with the feedback I got from everyone. It actually was to do with the fact that we hadn't researched one other thing. And that was the fact that Apple do not like being compared with anybody else. So mm. one of the ways we were going to make revenue off this was by getting people to pay for in-game advertising. And mm-hmm. I was doing a deal with one of our biggest telcos over here. 
And they were like, we are all in. This is going to be amazing. Like this game is going to be epic. So they were telling, you know, uh, they were telling their suppliers of, of Android phones. And then they told Apple and Apple turned around and said, okay, if in any way you advertise in this game, any way you promote this game whatsoever, we are removing iPhones from your store. And they were like, ah, uh, now of course they can't do that. As in they would never but want yeah, that exactly. to happen. So they yeah. were like, sorry, Vince. And I'm like, ah, never mind. So yeah, wrong time, read the industry a little bit wrong, but the consumers would certainly be willing to pay for it. So yeah. Mm. Yeah. Good idea. So a lot of people, when they're going into business, they think, what is it that I already do? But it's about asking yourself the, the questions. So it's, it's better to ask, where's the gap? Yep. Or what are some frustrations that I see in the market that I would change, which is where you went? But then also asking the right questions and certainly definitely, certainly and definitely getting <laughs> the right inner circle around yeah, you. Yeah, 100%. Honestly, uh, even though mobile combat failed miserably, these were the methods that really did help us get the success that we needed with other companies. Yeah, When I started Common Ledger, we knew we had to hit the Australian market because New Zealand's a tiny market. We had to hit the Australian market, then the US, then South Africa, then the UK, and we, we had this world domination plan. But I also knew that you need to lay the foundation there because nobody had ever heard of us. Like We were just a couple of entrepreneurs from New Zealand with, by the way, no background in accounting, and it was an accounting, it was a software for accounting firms. So you're in a high-trust environment there going, hey, you've never heard of us too, but trust us with your, your customer data. Trust us to pipe all your stuff through us. You know, yeah, you'll be all right. So what we had to do was build our reputation and leverage our own brands and also get as much intel as we could. So we modified the coffee line test to be in the corporate B2B space. So what we did is we would turn up at ZeroCon or some of the accounting conferences and we're like, do we buy a booth? Nah, because you pay 10 grand for a booth and then you've got to try and attract people to your booth. And then they're only coming there for the freebies anyway. What if we could hack this? What if we could go to where people are stuck, the lunch lines? And what if we can mm-hmm. walk down the lunch line with an iPad and a survey on the iPad and say to people, hey, do you want to win a bottle of whiskey? I'm just doing a survey. I just need you to ask you a few questions. And everybody said yes. They were like, yeah, I'm in. But then what mm-hmm. we would do is the survey was designed as a coffee line test. It would be, Tell us about the biggest frustration with, you know, all the online accounting platforms that are coming in. And everyone had an opinion on that. So they would tell you and you record it. And then you would ask some other questions. And all of those questions, by the way, are designed for three purposes. They're designed for you to uh, use as a press release. So we had seven questions for the survey. Each one of those was an individual press release. Because when you get over 100 people answering a survey, that's statistically quite significant. So therefore, any newspaper or magazine is going to pick up on that. And particularly if you've got a contrary view to what's in the market, which we did. But the other two reasons that this was really powerful was one, it started a conversation with them, which would filter them. So basically go, this is a potential client for us. Because you know they're going, hey, we've got 1,500 clients on these old systems that the new systems don't suit them, but still I've got to try and do that. We go, ooh, ooh, we've got a solution for that. And then the other thing it would do is it would, it would as well as filter it, it would start the conversation back and forward where I'd go, okay, well, it's not one of the questions, but what do you think the solution for that would be? And they go, I don't know, Vince. I just need something that makes all the systems play nicely together. I said, so like a pipeline between all of them. They went, yes, that would, oh my goodness, but you have no idea how much that would change the industry. And I said, well, funny enough, we're beta testing that at the moment. And every time I said that, you would end up with potential clients not asking maybe to be a part of something. They would beg you to be included. Mm, mm. And I'm like, okay, well, it's a paper. I don't care. I need the help. So you've got mm. them to come to the conclusion of what the problem is themselves. You yes. paint the picture of where the gap is in the industry. And then you're just standing there as the bridge to that gap, you know? 
Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Ready to carry people over the river. Oh, yes. Here we go. Oh, I like that analogy. Yeah, I'm stealing that. <laughs> <laughs> quick, write it down. <laughs> yeah. Trademark it quick, otherwise Vincent's going to use it. <laughs> yeah. So what would you say once someone's got their proof of concept, they've got their sales, they've got their mentor, what are the top three things that you would do if you were a startup again to grow your business to get traction in the quickest way possible so let's say the first you know the first 30 days max wow okay first 30 days one of the key things is you can't stop talking to your clients and prospective mm-hmm. clients i'm sorry but everyone talks about automating your systems and that will come everyone talks about paid advertising and yes that'll get you some results but before all of that you have to make sure that your bucket is secure and it doesn't have holes in it. You're going to make sure your funnel or your process actually works. And to do that, it requires you talking to people, taking them on the journey and converting them as a client. And when you know that you've got that robust, when you know that you can have a conversation with someone, sell them on the proposition that you've got, get them to come to the conclusion that they need it themselves, and then sign them up as a paying client. At that point, you can then go, okay, maybe now I can look to scale this through advertising. Maybe now I can actually put that messaging out there in a, in a kind of more, you know, wider way in a more visible way and things. So you really need to focus on what that journey looks like for your customers very early on. And the only way to do that is actually through conversations because mm-hmm. you will adapt as you go through. Never assume that everyone's mm, going to get your lead magnet and then they're going to pay for your mini course or whatever. And then they're going <laughs> to sign up as you, for you as a coach. You don't even know if they know you properly at that point. You haven't proven anything. So that's my number one. The second one I would do is I would get really good at telling your story. And by your story, I mean your personal story. Mm. It's one of the things I take all my entrepreneurs through is a a system I call the Beats Method. And essentially, Mm -hmm. it is just about incorporating who you are and your story into your brand and into your messaging. Everyone gets really good at doing an elevator pitch. Well, I say that actually most elevator pitches suck. Like, I'm sorry, everyone. I don't mean to burst your bubble. Mine do as well because we get in their own head and we go, I want to be the transformational engineer for blah, blah, blah. And most people are going, these are just words strung together. They mean nothing to me. Like, you have to get really good at actually telling what you do. But by bringing your story into this, you give yourself a massive advantage. And I remember with Common Ledger, it was one of the big things that we struggled with. We thought, how do we cut through in a market that doesn't know who we are, right? We don't have a brand when it comes to accounting. We don't even have a brand when it comes to technology, even though my co-founder was you know, an incredible developer, like he's a super genius. But the reality is we don't have anything behind us where we could go, hey, look at what we've done. So what we did instead was we leveraged our own personal stories. And to do that, we just, we would tell our stories. And I remember one of the things I did early on and everyone laughed at me, all my other peers. I said, we're going to start a blog. And they're like, oh, everyone does a blog. And so, but this is going to be different. We're not going to talk about our products. We're not going to talk about our services and what we do. We can talk about us, our culture, the team. We're going to talk about the stupid little toys that we buy each other when we're traveling. Because, you know, we'd bring these little Star Wars toys back to the office and things. We would talk about the family nights because family are really important to us and they're on the journey with us as well. So once a month, we would honor them. We would bring the families together. We would give gifts to them. We would explain to them that this is their company as well and make them feel a part of it. We would talk about the walking meetings that we do or the coming back from a client and meeting a client and why we're so passionate about our clients and why we love them and why they're so quirky but awesome and all this. So we would have this and have our trademark humor in there, our silliness. But we had this blog out there and, and you start to doubt yourself and go, you know, putting all this energy into the blog, is it really, really working? And then I get a message on LinkedIn and it was from a senior partner at one of the big firms. And he just reached out and said, look, can I buy you a beer? And I'm like, 
hello, <laughs> of course you can. Any, by the way, I'm such a cheap date. Anyone buy me a beer or whiskey, I'm going to meet with you. Just putting it out there. Um, I, I was just about to say the same thing. It sounds like I know exactly what, yeah. your, what your currency oh, yes, is here. Oh, yes, definitely, definitely. <laughs> Being around people and having a drink, yeah, my dream job. Um, uh-huh. So I met with him and he cracked me out because he said to me, I wanted to reach out to you because most of my team kept sending me your stupid blog. And they kept sending me the silly things you guys are doing. And he goes, and it's weird, Vince. I feel like I know you guys and yet mm. I've never met you. And that's what you want to do. You want people to create a pseudo social relationship with you, which is a relationship where they feel like they know you and you would know them. They feel like they can sit down and have a beer with you and, and mm-hmm. get on really, really well with you, even though the two of you have never met in the physical space ever. So that, mm-hmm. is, the, that is the holy grail from brands, right? So he had been watching these blogs and he thought, I'm just going to reach out. And then he turned around and he said something which floored me because this was Grant Thornton, so a very big accounting firm. And he turned around and he said, look, I like you and I like you guys. And I think what you're doing is really, really cool. I totally understand the solution you're trying to do because he looked at our website. And he said, but mm-hmm. more than that, I just want you guys to win. He said, so whatever you need, it's yours. And I was like, what, how do I respond to that? <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? And he goes, well, I want to sign up some of my clients with your service and I want to give you our logo that you can use out there. And you can explain to people that we are one of your clients because that'll give you quite a bit of leverage. But then also, if you want to be connected with anyone in my network, you reach out to me and let me know. And all of this was just from us using our personal story, our kind of our DNA, our personality, all of this kind of stuff, putting that out there as ourselves, not as this you know, corporate company and trying to pretend we're something we're not. We just put ourselves out there and they became our big marquee client. And then from there, honestly, the conversations with other accounting firms were super simple because they're all thinking security and all this. And, you know, I met with the marketing group and they're like, blah, blah, blah. And they say, oh, wait, Grant Thorns is one of your clients. Oh, I don't have to worry about the security stuff then. And I'm thinking, man, they haven't even filled out the security forms yet. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> <awkward>. <laughs> But it's all about using your personal brand to build your professional brand. So let people mm-hmm. connect with you and show them behind the curtains as well. Like, let them see yeah. the quirky fun that you have. Let them see when you totally stuff up and make a mistake, you know? And then the third thing I would recommend is just be really in tune and don't, like try to be as open as possible to your business. And by that, I mean, be really in tune with what's happening with your clients because often you think, you know, you're going in a certain direction, but you're not. And by that, I mean, I'll give you an example. Common Ledger was a really good example of this where it was like, okay, we thought we knew what the benefit of our business was because we had done our research and everyone was like, this is going to save us so much time and all this is going to be great. And I remember I was doing a presentation to PwC and hopefully none of the senior partners of PwC are listening to this because I'm about to reveal inside secrets. But I turned up to PwC. I got there about 15 minutes early to grab a coffee so I could mentally prep. And I went to go because I was going to do a live demo with them. So I went on to our server and it was down. And I'm like, uh-oh. So I called my co-founder. I'm like, uh, dude, what the hell? What's going wrong? And he goes, oh, you know, I've just rebooted the server. And I said, oh, fuel. And he goes, yeah, should be back up and running in about four hours. I'm like, oh, oh calendar. look at the calendar. And he's like, oh, you're doing a demo. And I was like, I can't talk to you right now. So I, I hung out from him. I was so annoyed, you know, because you're in a high-pressure situation. And then I realized I'd taken screenshots of every single page on our app. And I was like, uh-huh. oh, because I was putting together a little demo. So I quickly threw them all in sequential order into a PowerPoint. And I got up there and I had to do this live demo, which was just me doing this PowerPoint and pretending it was the real website. Um, they had dialed in senior partners from South Africa, from the US, from Australia as well, and all this. And you got all these other people on there going, ooh, very impressive. Okay, I'm about to put my password in. Everyone look away. 
And that's just me clicking on the next page. (laughs) (laughs) And then at the end of it, though, and this is the thing, you have to be open to this. At the end of it, though, one of them turns around and he said to me, question for you, Vince. He said, I can definitely see the benefit in this. But question, does this map the chart of accounts? Uh, Which essentially means taking your client's data and mapping it to the data you use for your system for reports. And I was like, why is that? Why do you ask? And I do that with a grin. And he goes, because if you did that, honestly, that would be a game changer. Now, that was not on our radar. There was nothing that we had even thought about, but was one of the major benefits of what we were doing. So I turned around and said, well, funny enough, we're actually testing that at the moment. And he goes, we want in. Seriously, we want in, Vince. I left there. I said, look, we'll have a conversation about this. I'll go back and just see if we've got capacity for you guys to test this for us. So we went back uh, on the way back to the office. I rang my co-founder and said, okay, don't talk. You've got one chance to redeem yourself. Is it possible to map the chart of accounts? And he goes, I have no idea, but I'll work it out. And I went, okay. So we got back there. <laughs> yeah, you will. Yeah. And we got back to the office. And honestly, um, the smoke and mirrors that we did on this. So we, we knew we needed to work out how to do it, but we knew we didn't have mm-hmm. time to sit down and research it properly. So he just created an upload thing on our website where it was like we had a portal for them. And it was upload your chart of accounts, upload your customers' chart of accounts. And next morning when you come, when you come back into the office, they will be automatically mapped. Now, that automated system was just an intern that we hired who worked through the night, <laughs> mapped all their chart of accounts, but gave us the information we need to then work out how to do this automatically. So mm-hmm. that became our biggest selling point for Common Ledger. So in other words, you think you're going in the right direction and you think you will have a value to your customers, but always look at how do I add more value? Like what are the mm-hmm. other opportunities here? How do I add more value to my customers? How do I impact them? And if you're focused on that rather than how do I get money from them, I can tell you now you're going to succeed. I look at it with my group program, Samantha, where initially it was a three-month accelerator program. I was like, right, we're going to do this. And I had these high intentions of, you know, every day they're going to have this lesson and all this. And then I realized these are busy entrepreneurs who are struggling to build their own company, right? They are not going to want to do something every single night because then they're not going to do it and they're going to feel guilty about it. They get in that shame spiral of, oh, I'm way behind on the academy. I'm way behind the accelerator program and I'm not getting the results. And now I don't want to talk to anyone because it'll be admitting defeat. So I thought rather than that, I'm going to do two classes a week. I'm going to do a Q&A session where they can ask me anything. And then I'm going to do a celebration session where we get together and we get honest. Like we talk about mm. your biggest struggle for the week. We all jump on a Zoom call. We don't record that session for privacy sake. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. jump on, we talk about your biggest struggle for the week. We talk about the biggest learning that you've had for the week. And we talk about the biggest wins that you've had for the week. And mm. I remember one of my peers was shocked. They were like, oh, I wouldn't, you know, because I told them some of these sessions turn into a lot of tears. And they were like, oh, I wouldn't allow that. I'd try and keep it positive. And I said, no, because they actually want people to realize that it's okay to have bad days. It's okay mm. to struggle as an entrepreneur. It's kind of part of what we signed up for to be emotionally mm. honest about that so that we can support each other and then they can get through this and get the success that they need. So, totally. Yeah. So just make sure you're adapting for your clients and trying to listen for the opportunities to add more value. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Vince, for people that have listened and thinking, wow, want to stay connected. How do they do so? Oh man, I made that real easy. Um, so, <laughs> mainly because I'm a simple man. Just go to chasingtheinsights.com. That is the home of my podcast. And that is the home of my book. But it's also where you'll see two things on there. You'll see the ability to connect with me on social media and do come and join my Facebook group. Honestly, cool bunch of crazy entrepreneurs in there and really supportive entrepreneurs, actually. They're an amazing community. But the other thing you'll see on there is the thing that I offer everyone for free, which is a free strategy call. 
So if any of you are listening and you're going, oh man, I'm, I'm not generating the leads or not converting the leads that I want, or I'm really struggling in this area of marketing, or I don't know how to get breakthrough over here, book that call with me. I will jump on. I will give you the clarity you need. I'll point you in the right direction. Or if I can't help you, I'll point you at the people that can help you. Love it. Love it. Love it. Vince has been fabulous to chat to you today. I am so glad that you did move from corporate yeah. to coaching <laughs> because it's so much fun on this side. Yeah. So it, I always think about that scene in Madagascar where you've got, I can't even remember, is it Alex? Is Alex the zebra or Alex is the lion? Yeah. I can't remember now. You've got the zebra on one side, yeah. you know, and he's got the little heart. I don't know if you've seen yeah. this movie and he's got the cocktails and then, and then you've got the lion on the other side and it's just like, hmm, it's like, come to the fun <laughs> side. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. <laughs> oh, yeah. well, I'm glad you came to the fun side. <laughs> Thanks so much, Vince. No worries. It's always a pleasure catching up with you, Samantha. It's been great to share another episode of the Thought Leaders Business Lab podcast with you. If you want more, head over to samanthariley.global forward slash podcast for the show notes, the links from today's sponsors, and to download your detailed episode companion for the extensive notes and value bombs we shared today. And if you're looking to connect with other experts and changemakers just like you to bounce ideas and ask questions, be sure to join my exclusive Thought Leaders Business Lab community on Facebook. The links are waiting for you over at samanthariley.global forward slash podcast.